सत्तर लाख आप ले लीजिए यू टेक इट सत्तर लाख एक सत्तर लाख दो सत्तर लाख तीन ये क्या क्या सेठ जी दस लाख का माल सत्तर लाख में खरीद लिया यू तो आप बिक जाओगे जी हाँ मैं तो यही चाहता हूं कि तुम सड़कों पर नंगे पैर चलो इसीलिए तो बोली देने आया था the math and science for right exactly. now exactly. so we can have economic power we have to deal within ourselves and eliminate them from our equation completely all i know is <laughs> what up what up what up you're tuned in now where were we only on wmyu that last song was Hand in My Pocket by uh, Sean C and LV uh, featuring Pusha T and ASAP Ferg. Before that, we had a couple West Coast records. We had the YG joint, 1AM, and uh, Vince Staples, Locked and Loaded. Both uh, both Def Jam artists, interestingly enough. But, um, but yeah, I wanted to introduce the guest who has... Uh, graciously come in here to, to, to talk to us um incredible writer incredible interviewer she's she's been on tv a, a few times many a time actually um somia krishnamurthy hi how are you i'm good i'm good and uh, and i said your name right because i should be able to say your name right because we are cousins technically <laughs> i have a cousin named somia actually well there you go yeah and you know the funny thing i i know so many people like my friends they can't get your name right I mean, i'm sure you're you're at this point beyond used to this you know i feel like joey badass had the best tip it's like sew me a shirt sew me a sew me a shirt so shout outs to joey badass because he came up with a really great um device to remember my name yeah, that's what. It, the funny thing about it is, like, they add it. The uh, uh, um, shout out to our, our caller, uh, Davis. They they shout. They add a a vowel which isn't there. Basically, that's what I hear a lot. Like Somaya, I guess. Although that was, I think, like a what a reality show character at some yeah, point. Yeah, that was a video vixen. The best is the time I got an email that was supposed to go out to Somaya Reese, and uh, I got the email. It was a very interesting email, but I deleted it. So. <laughs> I'm sure you get a lot of interesting emails. Um, unintentionally as well or intentionally as well like absolutely. directed to you absolutely <laughs> not not uh not the enjoyable moments of of the job or you know it's great i feel like you know for me being a journalist and also someone who interviews a lot of artists everyone you know from up and comers to established artists you get you know a lot of emails from up-and-coming artists people who want to be in the industry and you know even if i can't respond to all of them i at least try to look at them 
Um, and for people who are kind of genuine and want to be in this industry, I try to at least send a note because, you know, we've all been there where you were a kid hungry, just trying to get into the game and all you might need is someone to sort of give you some motivational words. So I try as much as possible. It's hard. You know, my inbox is kind of crazy right now, but I try as much as possible because it wasn't that long when, you know, I was in school just trying so hard to get an internship at a label and hoping someone would notice me. And, you know, we got we got to help each other out. Yeah. How many emails do you have in your inbox right now? Like unread emails. OK, I'm going to literally pull up my phone right now. Twenty thousand oh man unread messages yeah but i'm really bad about deleting mm. i have that that thing going for me um so you know if gmail just wants to have unlimited storage that would be great <laughs> yeah that's my issue i have to delete a lot of mp3 files so i download it right away and then delete it but i have you can't store that many mp3s totally and that's one thing a tip for up-and-coming artists or producers if you're gonna send a writer a blogger an industry person music please send a link a soundcloud link a streaming link youtube do not send us the mp3 because a lot of times it will get a bounce back or i'm so angry because i have a 20 megabyte email that i won't even open it just out of you know principle um so that's just a little free tip for you please send the streaming link please please please. streams are good streams are good and they can you can open them on your phone and everything at this point it's totally. it's, the, it's the way to go but um why don't we go back a little bit now you're from michigan uh what kalamazoo michigan home of Derek G and myself and that's about it oh okay Derek Jeter's from there nice um what, is it a small town you know what it sounds like a small town yes. and it also sounds like a made-up town but it has about a hundred thousand people um it's a college town you know Pfizer is a big company there so you know compared to New York or LA or Atlanta it's very much a small town but it's not a farm you know we we do have farms but it's a little bit more eclectic than uh, than it sounds um, yeah, so I grew up there for most of my life, and then I went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, so go blue to anyone uh, listening who might be a Wolverine, um, and I went to the Ross School of Business, so I studied marketing and management, um, but I've been writing you know, professionally since high school. I wrote for the Kalamazoo Gazette and the Michigan Daily, which were my high school and college papers, respectively. I had my own column. Um, so I've been writing for a really long time, and you know, I knew ever since I was little that I want to work to hip-hop. Like... When I was 13, I'm like, I'm going to work in it. I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to get there, but I just know I'm going to do it. Um, so, yeah, so a few internships later, I interned at CNN in Atlanta, and then I got an internship um, at Bad Boy. Incidentally, I wrote an article uh, about Bad Boy in my school paper, and someone from Bad Boy read it and actually called me. High school? So, in college, oh, you wow. know, I came back to my dorm room and there's this weird call, you know, this is so-and-so from Bad Boy. So I'm thinking this is a horrible prank. I'm being punked, but let me at least see what it is. It turned out to be super legit. The guy worked in marketing and incidentally, I was coming to New York for something unrelated. So I was able to flip that unrelated trip basically into an internship. And, you know, I moved to New York and I lived at NYU dorm so this is kind of weird I've come full circle because as we're sitting in this room right now uh, uh, houses the cafeteria that I used to eat at as an intern so that's weird um, and you know I interned at Bad Boy and so from 9 to 5 I had an internship at American Express because you know being you know a, a nerd and um, a good Asian child I also kind of had that on lock and my parents were like look we're not going to pay for you to go to New York and work an unpaid internship so at Amex I was getting paid very well so from 9 to 5 I worked there and basically from 6 to midnight I worked at Bad Boy and 
literally that was my life all summer. I was super tired. I got dehydrated halfway through the summer, but I loved it. And I knew from then, I'm like, this feels right. And I have my, not my foot in the door, but I have my toe in the door. So that really kind of made me realize after graduation, I'm moving to New York. I have no job, few connections, but I'm going to figure it out. Okay, so this was uh, the internship before senior year? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then the following year you were here? Following year I was here, and you know, I had been interviewing a little bit, but nothing was really jumping off. Um, I moved here and I interned. Uh, I interviewed with the William Morris Agency, which is now William Morris Endeavor, which is one of the biggest talent agencies in Hollywood. And I started in the mailroom. So if you are familiar with Entourage and Lloyd, it's basically that, but even less sexy. So at least Lloyd gets yelled at and looked in the eye. I was like three rungs below that. I was making like no money literally delivering mail to agents but what was great was you met people who were interested in theater and in tv and in motion pictures and it really broadened my horizons um for me hip-hop was like my comfort zone the music industry was something i knew these were completely different players you know now i'm reading variety and going on deadline like it totally gave me a crash course in the entertainment industry. And that was kind of my first job in the industry. Fast forward, um, I worked at Ice Media, which is a social media agency, and was working with a bunch of brands like Swatch and Diesel and Kmart and Universal Music Group. Um, and then while that was going on, I started writing professionally. So it literally started with one byline. I think Vibe Magazine was probably my r- first byline. Mm-hmm. Um, so shout outs to Jay Hall over there at Vibe for that. And after that, you know, I just literally pitched. And, you know, I would pitch everyone, Village Voice, Rolling Stone, literally everyone. 99% of the time, no one would respond. (laughs) Um, I think the Village Voice, I pitched about six months straight before they even responded. But I think you need to have that tenacity in the game. Like, everyone's not going to respond to you positively just from the jump. But if you're confident and you show that you're willing to be perseverant, at some point they will respond. Yeah. Several bylines later, you know, MTV approached me that they were doing a show and they wanted talking heads like, you know, we've seen your byline. We see you on Twitter. Why don't you come in and audition? I had never auditioned in my life. Mm -hmm. I literally Googled how to audition, what to wear. um, And I went in and auditioned for a show called Hip Hop POV. It got picked up. We shot a pilot. You know, seven episodes later, I'm on TV. And after that, I just was like, you know what? This feels right. How many years after the first, the mailroom internship was Hip Hop POV? Probably around five. Five years, okay. About five years. Um, You know, but it's funny because everything really comes full circle. And after that, I I went back to writing full time. So, you know, right now I write for everyone from Billboards, Rolling Stone, Ask Men, Vibe, Double XL, the whole gamut. And, you know, I've been on VH1, you know, E, CNN, done expert commentary for everyone. And, you know, it's great. Like, Every experience kind of leads you to the next. You know, my agent right now from ICM is someone I met when I was in the mailroom at William Morris. So the universe all kind of works out like it's supposed to. Um, But it's kind of ill. Like for me, my dream as a kid was to work at Bad Boy. I worked at Bad Boy. I wanted to meet Puffy. I met Puffy. Like now I do, you know, commentary for Revolt, which is his network. Like it all kind of works out. You know, if you like work hard and believe in yourself, as corny as that sounds, I promise you it works. Now, what what ended up happening with the show? Because it didn't last uh, particularly long. No, it was literally six episodes. 
Um, you know, and that's television. It's one of those situations where every TV show, you shoot what they assign you to shoot. And if it keeps going, great. And if not, you keep it moving. But for me, it was awesome because that was my first foray into TV. Like, I was the total virgin on the show. Everyone else had, you know, done radio and television. And I was coming in as the newbie. So what did I do after that? I made a reel. And I started shopping myself to agencies. And that's how I um, got affiliated with ICM, which is a huge talent agency. And I use that reel to get other TV jobs. So, you know, if you're bored next Wednesday at a 10 p.m. Eastern, I'll be on The Fabulous Life of Miley Cyrus on VH1. Um, <laughs> but it's really about, you know, every opportunity using it to get to the next thing. Because um, yeah. you never know. You know, you never know what your next opportunity will be. So whether something ends when you wanted it to or thought it would, always being open, you know, and things always kind of work out how they should. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, going back even even further, one of the things I was curious about, um, were, your, were your parents uh, immigrants? Yeah, totally. I mean, I was actually born in India. You were so born in India. I was born in Calcutta, which for the five people who are listening who know where that is, um, it's in India. Yeah. And I moved here when I was about six months old. I'm, a, I'm an Indian out a little bit. That's not where I would have expected you to be to be born, Calcutta, because that's like uh, Beng- Bengal, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that you know, I, I, you strike. Are you are you uh, what from Bengal? Like actually? No, no, you're, so you're South, South Indian. Indian yeah. But transplants to to Calcutta. So okay. yeah, so I moved initially to California, um, and then moved to Michigan ultimately. But yeah, I mean, look for my parents. They're definitely immigrants, and I think with that, for the kids who do know, you know, from from immigrant kids, that's a very different mentality. You yes. know, where it's you, it's very hardworking. It's this notion of, you know, education is important, work is important, and just you know because of how people are, it's a very limited array of career choices. Yeah. It's really doctor or engineer, doctor, engineer, and other. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think t- even to this day, my parents are a little freaked out. I think the Indian community is a little freaked out, but. But, you know, it's like anything is generational. Yeah. When I was a kid, you turned on the TV. It was still very homogenous, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays you have people like Mindy Kaling or yep. Aziz Ansari, um, Padma Lakshmi. Like, you have more of a diversity, and we're only going to see that more. It's only going to grow. Um, you know, at the end of the day, am I usually the only Indian girl in the room? Yes, this mm-hmm. is true. Um, but you have to be yourself, you know? I feel people will accept you if you're comfortable in your own skin. Like, yeah. I know who I am and what my values are and where I come from. So, for me, it doesn't matter if I'm a ro- in a hip-hop sphere, entertainment, anything else. Like, I know who I am, and I think when you exude that, people gravitate towards it, you know? I think the worst thing in hip-hop is to be, like, a fronter. Like, just be who you are, mm-hmm. you know? Drake does Drake. does Drake. Macklemore does Macklemore. Yeah. So that's kind of the lesson. Just be who you are, and if that's who you are, like, people will rock with you. Yeah. Um, when did you move? Like, how old were you when you moved? When I moved from where to where? From, well, yeah, uh, from India to here, to like America. six months. So, okay, so you, yeah. you completely are here. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I go occasionally. And what's interesting is my brother um, is an active Carnatic musician. So Carnatic music, for those who don't know, is like classical, classical South music. Indian music. Yeah. And he's an amazing percussionist. He plays the Murthan Gum. Okay. So I grew up very much, it was weird, like I would go to Carnatic music concerts mm-hmm. while blaring like Nas in my like headphones. <laughs> and so and Carnatic 
electronic music is really slow, like melodic, like. Oh yeah, the concerts last like five hours, like literally like five hours. And sometimes there may not be like vocals or it's vocals in a language you don't understand. So a lot of times growing up, I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. But it's weird because I come from a musical family. I mean, my mom's an amazing singer. You know, my dad has great musical sensibility and that kind of trickles in, you Mm -hmm. know? And even though I preferred, let's say, Nas to, you know, Umayal Purim K. Shivaraman, who's a percussionist for the three people who know that. Um, you know, it's all music. And at the end of the day, it all kind of blends in. So having an ear that's tuned to world music or other forms of music, I think is only a benefit, you know? Yeah. You didn't grow up on Bollywood, I'm assuming, though, because you're, you're South Indian. Yeah, very little. I mean, I don't speak Hindi, so if I right. would watch it, it would be very much with subtitles. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even before he became a thing in America, like I knew who A.R. Raman was and yeah. like the work that he did. He's a fellow um, South Indian, actually. Yeah, and you know that's the thing is after post slum dog like he became a thing for like a few minutes out here. Um but yeah, I mean just sort of knowing what that music sounds like and kind of opening your horizons I think is really important because a lot of times it's like you only focus on what you like, but whether you're an artist, a writer, a producer, always open yourself up to other genres cuz yeah. you, you know there's a lot more similarities than you realize. Yeah. How did you get into hip hop? Like, do you remember the first time you heard like a, a hip hop record and realized that, like, you know, this is what I like? Yes, and my credibility will go out the window, but I do not care because you know I have to keep it one hundred. Mm-hmm. It was Puff Daddy and Mace. Can't nobody hold me down. Now, yes, the purists might be rolling their eyes, but as a kid growing up in the suburbs that record changed my life like the minute i heard that song and saw the video i'm like i'm going to work in hip-hop and i have to work at bad boy or meet puffy like somehow he's a part of my lifeline i don't know why but i just feel very close to him um and really after that you know obviously you know growing up on jay-z and nas and all those guys and then also going back like listening to like wu-tang and gangstar and all these things mob deep i really grew up on new york rap Mm -hmm. um this was sort of like pre-eminem ish so we didn't really have kind of a an identity in the midwest so to speak but you know obviously now we eminem and dilla and all these great people but yeah i grew up on kind of like the hardcore new york rap like and to this day that's kind of what my ears tune to um it took me a long time to like southern rap Mm -hmm. and to this day some of these artists that everyone really likes i hate like young Um, thug yes okay i'm sorry i don't get it if someone wants to help me understand why he's a thing please let me know yeah you can call in actually young thug if you want to call in right now i would love to talk to you because everyone's obsessed with you and i just it's literally like a cat being like tortured in my opinion um but again my my ear like to me biggie's my favorite artist i grew up obsessed with nas like i still love lyrical rap and just the sensibilities of new york production um you know over time obviously you know diversifying beyond that but that's like what i grew up on so to me i still like rapidy rapper rappers Mm -hmm. now it was interesting because you said you you grew up in in a suburb um so you know was i guess everybody was kind of into like like mainstream rap uh, you you mentioned yeah, it totally and- totally i mean i remember everyone at high school was obsessed with like nelly Ja rule but it was weird because even among that i was still kind of the weirdo who was reading like blaze magazine and scratch and all these things because we didn't have the outlet you know we couldn't turn on hot 97 or video music box you know all we had was trl rap city the basement 
OK Player message boards. Like that's kind of how we sort of got our fix. Um, and I remember there was one, the college station, I think it's like 89.1 WIDR. You would have to listen on like a Wednesday night at like midnight to mm-hmm. even hear anything remotely close to like New York rap. Um, and that's where they'd play like AZ and Cormega and all these people who I love, but I just didn't know where else to like learn about them. So I come from a weird trajectory. You know, on one hand, Puff Daddy changed my life. I can call him that because he's changed his name back to Puff yes, Daddy. Yes, he has. Um, but then I also like am obsessed with like DJ Premier. So I'm I'm kind of a weirdo in more ways than one. Hmm, yeah, and and now um, in this in Kalamazoo, are there a lot of Indian people or no? Um, growing up in high school, there were three, and one of them was my brother. So that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I think over time, it's got it's got a bit more diversified. But yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. Like in high school, I was definitely a weirdo. My name sounded funny. None of the teachers could say my name. Half of them didn't know where India was, and they would ask me questions. Like it, it was a little bit embarrassing, but yeah, I've always been the weirdo. So for me, that's like nothing new. Yeah, I think that the awareness of India too has evolved a lot. Like when I was in in high school, obviously I, I lived in Boston, so people knew where that was. There wasn't a lot of Indian people in my school, but people knew where it was, you know, and people knew things about it. It was on TV. It started you know percolating into to pop culture but you're talking about a time where like there was no like that's where the the naked guys do crazy yeah. things and, and there were a lot of indiana jones questions because apparently i'm steven spielberg now and i know everything about that movie um you know a lot of just kind of ignorant questions um and just kind of this notion of not like i went to a very kind of segregated school in many ways where it was like half black half white and a sprinkling of other so there weren't a lot of options to pick where to sit at in the in the lunchroom um but again i've always just been very aware of who i am and not ashamed of that so to me it was like either we're going to be homies or we're not and it's fine either way it's like the earl sweatshirt line too black for the white kids too white for the blacks like it just it sometimes it feels like that especially when you're like not in one of the main ethnic groups in your school oh yeah totally um but i think again you know one thing that for me i always was very just sort of self-aware of who i was and things like peer pressure wanting to like fit in i'm like look i'm a nerd i'm valedictorian which i was by the way um i'm super smart and for me i always knew i wanted to move to new york so i was hyper focused like i'm not gonna let anything kind of distract me so because of that i worked hard you know i did like Forensics, which is like the art of public speaking, um, you know, and I placed like state like top five and I did all these business competitions and placed nationally. So I had a lot of cool things I was doing. So you sound like not not to offend you, but you sound like one of those Indians I do not like. <laughs> I believe the term is Dorcas Malorcus. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm totally an overachiever, but to me, it was something that I enjoyed and it came naturally and I've had a lot of pride in it. You know, it's the same way. Let's say you're great at basketball. You're the captain of the team and that's what people know you for. I was like the smarty pants. Like, that's just what I was. Um, I couldn't, you know, I'm clearly too short and out of shape to do sports and I was not popular. So, you know, for me, like, this is what I'm really good at and I take a lot of pride in it. Um, And I kind of knew, you know, it's weird. I knew the nerds were going to run the world one day. Like, Revenge of the Nerds, I knew was going to happen. So I'm like, I'm just going to wait in the cut and let that happen. And lo and behold, it happened. It did, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, you mentioned this at the beginning, like, the career paths for an Indian person, especially somebody who works and does all those different activities and and is the valedictorian and and then goes to business school and does all of that is 
is more the Amex. Yeah. The you know the the financial success uh, right away. The the uh, that that type of trajectory, not hip hop. Totally. Hip hop music and Indian people like overachieving Indian people is like, yeah, none. But I think for me it was like I knew that this is what I wanted to do, and I would always say I want a job that I love. There's nothing to me worse than going into an office that I hate because I knew again being that Dorcas Malorcas that. I could always get that office job. I could always go to a Fortune 50 company and get a very high paying job. And, you know, I've worked with some, you know, Fortune 50 companies in my in my career and I can do that with my eyes closed. Like I can give a keynote presentation that will knock your socks off. But, you know, just because you also read the Wall Street Journal doesn't mean you don't like reading Double XL. Like you can do both and be smart, you know? So but more than anything, you know, I tell people, follow your passion. Like, everyone will have an opinion. Your family, society, your friends, you know in your heart what your calling is. And you have to follow that because you know what makes you happy. And that's the thing is even at times I've maybe wanted to deviate or go back to the nine to the five, nine to five route, something will come into my path like, no, you need to stay the course. And you know when you're in your zone, like the same way an athlete knows I should be playing basketball. I know that this is what I should be doing, you know? And I think at the end of the day, more than anything, I want to let people know, look, it doesn't matter where you're from. Everyone should be following their dreams and don't let anyone, whether it's your family or your culture or some sort of a stigma kind of, you know, deter you. And yeah, is it hard sometimes being the only person in the room or, you know, to this day, I talk to my family and kind of they still don't really know what I do. Um, and so, but sometimes they'll like send me random links of rappers. So I think they Google it or something. But that's okay. You know, sometimes it's an educational process and maybe you will be the only one waving the flag, but it's your flag. And I would much rather wave my flag and be proud and be passionate and happy than live somebody else's life. That's well said. Um, you know, the other thing too with Indian parents or Indian community is that, you know, being the overachieving immigrant group, um, they sometimes have a distaste or uh, they, they say slick things about, you know, if you're into hip hop, like hanging out with, with black people. That comes, it come in my, it's come in my family. It's come with like, you know, just suburban, that's the, a certain mentality. Have you experienced that? You know, for me, it was just mostly lack of knowledge you know i mean every family is different but in most of my family everyone followed a very set trajectory so i do have a cousin who at one point was working in bollywood and she was kind of a weirdo in the family but she quickly sort of towed the line and kind of went back to the blueprint so everything is great there but yeah i think it's just more the unknown you know mm. whether you are working in hip-hop or working as an actress in hollywood or working in a coal mine it's anything the unknown yeah, people no. fear what they don't know you know so if i told my parents tomorrow i want to be a professional surfer they'd probably send me links about like sharks eating surfers or like <laughs> the waves and the riptide like again just fear of the unknown but a lot of that is just an educational process you know and more and more as this industry kind of becomes more diverse and you see people you know of every shape color size background culture that's how you know people start to learn mm -hmm. that's fair enough why don't we get into the music and um 
you know, then we'll get back into conversations more related to journalism. Um, and uh, for sure, you know, there's a lot to talk about here. But I'm, I appreciate you uh, being able to have that conversation about identity and, and heritage because that's something that, you know, there aren't a lot of us, to be honest. I mean, I'm pretty sure people think we're related. <laughs> I mean, I remember the first time I met you and somebody thought, remember, uh, somebody thought I was Insinol. There you go. Shout out to Insinol, um, <laughs> one of our homies who also looks like we could be related. Fun story. French Montana one time asked me if Insinol was my husband. <laughs> oh, French fry. Yeah, so there you go. Um, <laughs> that's you know, amazing. It is kind of amazing. Wow. Um, but yeah, so that's, you know, and the, the cool thing about, I think, being brown in, in hip-hop is that we kind of all know the same people, like, like I mentioned, Insinol, and we kind of do, you know all sort of band together in a way it kind of happens when you're like a subgroup within a subgroup so i mean i would love to see more unity to be completely honest mm-hmm. you know i feel that so you know aziz if you're hearing this or mindy kaling feel free to tweet at us um but yeah i mean look i think at the end of the day you really just have to you, there's certain things we will understand you know just sort of culturally and inherently so i would love to see more unity um and you know more than anything it's like look Anytime you're kind of the first to do something like a pioneer, you're going to face certain struggles. And I can only hope over time that it doesn't matter what you look like, what you what your name is, where you come from, that this is an accepting place. And one thing I will say specifically about hip hop, I really think versus a lot of other genres, it is accepting. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, our biggest artists right now are a white guy from Seattle and a Jewish white guy from Canada. So there's something to be said about the way that the genre is moving even compared to other kind of subcultures um and i think that's something that maybe why i was attracted to hip-hop was it was a place of inclusivity you know i mean clearly the majority is still the majority but there was something about it that felt very much at home even before i was in the house for sure definitely yeah and now i'm just eating all the food out of the refrigerator (laughs) exactly um but yeah stick around we we got more music of course um the number to call 212-998-1818 once again 212-998-1818 if you want to explain the phenomenon of young thug to somia feel free to call in and and do that uh can also hit us up on uh iMessage at WMYU Radio and on Twitter at DharmicX uh let's get into the music thank you for sticking around now where were we what up what up what up you tuned in now where were we only on WMYU 89.1 FM New York also broadcasting on WMYU.org that last set featured two songs uh, on which Chance of the Rapper was rapping on one was Mape um, Don't Wait the remix and the other was the new SZA song which came out yesterday which is pretty amazing too um, and then of course we had Rory uh, an emerging R&B artist as well so that was a it was a little different, but um. Oh well, what's the name? Rory. Rory. Oh. R a u r y. Yeah, the, cool. the video for that is pretty cool as well. So that's a good. That's a good song right there. But um, yeah. Um, we're here with with Somya Krishnamurthy, um, who's come on here for uh, our guest, and um, we were talking a little bit about about the 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 rap writing game, the rap writing game right now in, in 2014. Um, you know, called oh, Jesus phone calls what's going on um but um he's got all his ladies calling him. <laughs> yes that's that's Ow. what's happening right now <laughs> but um yeah uh we were talking about the, uh, the state of the game um i think one question i had for you is um 
I, I want to use this this Chief Keep uh, interview you did with, is with this Billboard. Some Indian music, by the way. It is. I, 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 like I it. have I have slipped it in here. Um, yes, this is actually ARM on. Do you pick music based upon your guest ethnicity? No, not no. This time I wanted to do it because um, because we're related and you think it was appropriate. <laughs> I like it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's ARM on too. You can't go wrong with ARM on. But but no, I mean it also like this type of instrumental is like good for radio anyway. So. Makes like sense. It. Yeah. Sleepy time. Yeah, a little bit. But the voice is what matters. The opinion is what matters. And um, you did this article about Chief Keef for, for Billboard. And actually, was that the same place where this shooting incident happened today? So I went to visit him in rehab. Um, in rehab, okay. Yes. So I met with Keith. Um, he gave me his only interview from rehab. So I went over to California and you know drove to the middle of nowhere to this beach house and i met with keith in rehab um and it was a very interesting interview um i'd never spoken to him before but i'd interviewed quite a few of the gbe guys like dirk and fredo and gbe kind of approached me like look we see what you've done and we really feel like you could get a good interview out of keith um and i thought it turned out great i mean he's someone who's kind of notorious for not liking press for some very justified reasons and others maybe not so justified and i'm not gonna lie it was a very challenging interview um you know this kid is like in a sober living facility because he got caught with uh, some marijuana while he was on probation and he was going stir crazy he's like yeah i'm on a beach but i'm miserable like to him he likened it to jail so when you're going in and interviewing someone who basically feels like they're in a mental jail it affects the interview. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one thing about Keith is I really, you know, shout out to GB and Keith's team because they really made that happen. And I think it was good because it was one of his first interviews really in a long time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I wish the kid the best. I think he has a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he has the numbers to prove it. I mean, go on his YouTube. To this day, millions of views on his, mu- on his music and his videos. Yeah. So the kids like him. You know, there's something there. I feel like with a guy like him, he might be his own worst enemy, mm-hmm. you know, where maybe he doesn't see that potential. Just, But he's also a young guy, and I think a lot of times people like to point fingers at artists, like they should know better. Yeah, but you know what? If you were 18, 19 years old, someone threw a ton of money at you, took you out of your element, we would all act crazy, you mm-hmm. know, maybe some of us more than others. So I hope he gets it together. You know, I think he has a lot of potential. Yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned the fact that, that GBE kind of approached you and you'd built this um, relationship with management that they, that they could trust you. Absolutely. How do, you know, access is, is a big uh, key in freelancing, being able to get the interviews. Um, what do you say is the key to to that sort of access, that level of access? You know, for me, it's really about respect and doing a good job and i really can't tell you the number of rappers especially who've told me wow you really care and you did your research you know and they'll openly tell me you know i was just in an interview they're asking me questions that they could have read my wikipedia like do your homework you know and also making the artist feel comfortable like this is a stranger and if the first question you ask is about why they're a horrible human who's going to answer that question you know so also just respecting them as a person um that's very important you know and i think for me i kind of go in and look at everyone as a human like yeah you have all this great stuff you're doing musically but let's have a human conversation and with keith that's what it was like looking him in the eye and just being like yo like what are you doing like what's really going on and then also being kind of cognizant of maybe why he's wary to talk to people and 
just again feeling everything out you know every interview is different um I tell people like take your time but more than anything you're talking to a person you're not talking to a press release you're not talking to a record literally talk to them as a human and I think you can tell there's a difference I mean anyone can interview an artist like that's not hard I could give you five questions you could give the next guy five questions but looking someone in the eye and getting them to trust you especially artists who aren't known for being open that's what's kind of takes like a special trait or a special skill hmm. and, and what would you say that this the special skill is I mean, it's just someone who's who listens, someone who kind of sees past what's on the outside and seeing the human. You know, I, I was an RA in college, which is a residential advisor. Yeah. And basically that job is students come to you and tell you their problems and you're supposed to kind of help them, whether it be with their schoolwork or their social life or just dealing with being in school. So I've always kind of been that person. Um, mm. And even in my friend circle, always sort of being open to like giving advice and listening to people and kind of using that skill set. Um, but yeah, just do your homework and listen. And I think as simple as that sounds, so many interviewers I've seen, they don't. They go in very disrespectful or that the artist owes them something. And it's like, you know what? No one owes you anything. Your job is merely to tell their story in an accurate way. You're not making it prettier, but you're also not making it uglier. And I think a lot of rappers, especially the more controversial ones, they tell me, look, some of these uh, interviewers want to trap me. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember I spoke to Fredo Santana and he gave me probably one of his first interviews he did out here. And he said, he's like, I don't like press because I saw how they treated Keith where you're asking these guy, this guy questions in many ways to trap him to yeah. say something foolish or stupid. Talk to him like a human. And Fredo and I had a very long conversation. Um, and after that, it was like that level of access. What started out as a 15-minute interview probably lasted for several hours. And sometimes we were talking about music, sometimes we were shooting the breeze. But this idea of going to someone with that respect, you know? And people can feel it out. Like, we all feel energy. Some people give off a really weird, creepy energy. You know, I always say, like, I'm not going to be a fangirl, mm -hmm. but I'm also not going to be, like, a douche. You know what I mean? Like, just go be a human, as a human approaching another human having a conversation that's it now how do you um deal with the issue of maybe integrity in in the journalism game um you know balancing the 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 need to be receptive and, and be friendly with an artist but at the same time you know being accountable from a journalistic perspective if you know, if you know what i mean i mean for me i feel like there's different paths as a writer one can take you know if you're someone who's an ardent critic like you're there reviewing albums in many ways i think you should be in a vacuum like it's best that you not be in the industry you don't know anyone you're merely listening to music as a listener you're not thinking about anything else i think when you're someone like me who's really kind of made a career with interviews specifically there it's about relationships and i always say look i'm going to quote you how you said it like if you said this, you said this. I'm not changing that quote um, and maintaining that level of truth. And if you're doing something crazy, it's going to make it in there. But I'm also not going to trap you, excuse me, just so I control for clicks. Because we have a lot of those people, too. And I've been in those interviews where, you know, someone gets access. The first three questions are so, don't you hate Drake? Isn't Jay-Z horrible? It's like, that has nothing to do with this artist. You're literally trolling. And I always think of it, you know, the shoe on the other foot. 
a stranger approaches you, the first thing they say to you is, don't you really hate this person? And you're like, what? What are you talking about? You know? So to me, those are separate paths. Like if you're going to be someone who's a critic, you're reviewing albums, reviewing records, that's a very different path from someone who's an interviewer. You know? And you look at like Barbara Walters or Oprah, their whole job is to make relationships. That's very different from maybe someone who runs a tabloid, right? Mm -hmm. You don't see Harvey Levin of TMZ having lunch with the Kardashians, whereas Oprah may need to do that for her show. Yeah. You know, so playing to your strengths. Like, everyone is different. For someone like me, I like talking to people. You know, I'm the person who interviews my cab drivers anytime I'm in a cab. Like, I'm a weirdo like that. Mm -hmm. So finding a career path that's more reflective. Um, And I'm a friendly person. Like, I like being friendly. Whereas some writers you know, would prefer to stay in the cut, do their job and go home. You know, they don't want to schmooze. They don't want to hang out. And that's okay. Like, find a path that makes sense for you and then maintain the integrity of that path. Okay. Now, you know, how do you deal with maybe a a publicist coming to you and and being like, take this quote out of there or, you know, take this out or don't mention this incident or, you know, how do you deal with that? I mean, for me, as I I really, well, first of all, I like to do interviews in person. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I hate phone interviews. I think they're so impersonal unless I know the person. Even then, I hate it because who wants to talk to like a voice on the phone? Like, aside from phone sex, there's really no need for that. Um, but, you know, when it comes to a publicist, ideally, I don't like them in the room. And mo- most publicists kind of give me that, you know, acceptance where they'll leave the room. But again, that, that goes by trust, too, where they kind of know, okay, you're here to basically tell the story as it is, nothing more, nothing less. And I think it's best when it's just you and the artist by yourself. Um, You know, at times where they're like, oh, strike this, strike that. It's like, look, if it's pertinent to what I'm saying, I'm going to keep it in. Because it's on tape. Like, you can't lie. It's on tape. Yeah. But if it's something completely unrelated, like someone's, you know jump off walk into the room that has nothing to do with anything then you know we'll we'll make a judgment call there is that a part of the story should we include it should we not you know and then that's just kind of a judgment call but more than anything it's like look if you said it you said it um but i do try to tell publicists like to get the best stories give the writer time with the artist you know a 15 minute sit down during a press day is not time you know and also just leave the room like it really should just be those two people and that's it and to me those give you the best interviews and at the end of the day you know we're all pretty much you know here for the same reason it's to tell a story Mm -hmm. you know tell the artist's story one side isn't the enemy one side isn't the bad guy and that that kind of feeling needs to go away and I think the best interviewers in hip-hop have built that rapport. You look at someone like Angie Martinez at Hot 97, artists trust her. You know, she has friendships with them, relationships over years. That's why they're like, you know what, I'm going to break this news with Angie specifically. You know, and there's something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to get to that level, you know, there's a reason why that people may be going to her versus going to, like, you know, the, any Tom, Dick, and Harry on the street. So... More and more, it's like, you know, you figure out what are your strengths and, you know, kind of playing with that. Now, have you ever had an incident where, you know, I'm sure you because you've done a lot of interviews where the artist just was not receptive to you at all? Yes. Um, Phoners are hard. And sometimes, especially with newer artists, if they haven't done a lot, it can get a little difficult where it's like pulling teeth. Mm -hmm. But in person, I mean, you see me like I'm kind of like a weirdo, like. Even if that interview is not going well, I'll usually find something to talk about Mm -hmm. because, again, we're all human. So maybe you don't want to talk about your album, but you know what? Let's talk about 
dating or food or sports, there's something as a human that you enjoy, you know? Like, mm-hmm. hey, like, where do you like to, like, what strip club do you like to go to in the city? Like, there's some commonality. Or what are you eating? Like, let's go get food. Like, you can find a commonality. And I think that's the thing. At the end of the day, an easy interview is easy. Anyone can do it. Yeah. But it's about finding something where there's something not there, you know? But look, we're all humans. And it, I don't believe that someone would say, I had nothing to ask this person. Well, then clearly you're not a human and you should go work on that. So now what do you think about, you know, chasing the story of the moment with when you're interviewing a certain person? Like, let's say, you know, a Rick Ross where this album had like a controversial line in it or, you know, something like that. Or, or like Young Thug about, you know, signing what his label situation is. Like, what what do you think about or like Gucci Mane talking about Waka Flocka Flame? Like, do, do you ever feel like you need the, to chase that story or, or what do you think about that? Notice that we've mentioned Young Thug multiple times in this interview, so yeah. D, you may be Young Thug's publicist. If you want to come out with that now, it'd be great. Not at all. Um, I think it depends. You know, first of all, what's the format? Is it for print? And sometimes in print, you may do an interview two months before it's going to run. So asking someone a topical question, unless it's going to live online, is kind of silly. Um, and I think it depends on the artist. You know, certain artists are very open like to me like the young thug thing you can ask him but by the time it prints that label situation will probably change but yeah you of course you can ask him um but everything you have to gauge you know how much time you have with them what's your rapport if you and the artist are vibing then yeah you can ask them about stuff but you've built that trust but if you kind of feel like it's going whatever or you only have 10 minutes with them you know asking someone a very touchy question in 10 minutes you're probably not going to get a response or you're going to get the no comment or response you don't like and it's funny when you know writers or people get offended like oh my god so and so wouldn't open up to me in 10 minutes bro like who's gonna open up to you in 10 minutes like you're not their preacher this isn't confession like they're expecting a 10 minute in and out and you're sitting here asking questions that really require you to build a rapport so you have to use your judgment that's something i've noticed especially a lot of like the newbies they don't get because they're so excited they have five minutes to sit down with this artist oh my god i'm gonna ask him everything you need those five minutes just to like build a rapport and sadly if you only have five you may have to make do with what you can make do and you know what maybe it's going to be the person who has the three day sit down with them that's going to get the real story and quite frankly that's how it tends to be i Mm -hmm. mean if you look at where most rappers are kind of revealing all it's when they get a cover story because that's when the writer's in their house with them that's when you meet their friends you meet their mom so by day three four of course you can start asking people about who they hate and whom they're dating but in the first sit down i don't even know you you're just merely a person sitting in that seat so again i think you have to balance it out you know now you know with ross you just did an interview with him yeah um and i'm sure you've interviewed him several times or you know, how- strangely i have not really no mmg yeah i mean i've interviewed meek more than anybody but meek wale stolly but ross no i just met him in passing once Okay, so then obviously that's not the you don't you wouldn't feel comfortable asking him. No, and I think with Ross, what's interesting is you know the way that he did at least one of his press days was he did a press day, which mm-hmm. means literally a rapper will do press interview after interview. It's almost back to back, which is very tiring for them. So as it is, they're already in a headspace where they've probably been asked the same question a million times and you have an interviewer before you and waiting in the wing after you. And I think you have to use your time wisely. And I think that's where, you know, would it be great to have like a five day sit down with Ross where we're like, by the end, we're both crying and eating key lime pie, of course. But 
that's where you can really get to know William Roberts, the man behind Rick Ross. But for me to kind of go in for the jugular in like minute three, I don't think it would be very smart of me, you know? And the thing with Ross, he's also very well media trained. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing is a lot of these artists, you know, Ross doesn't have a reputation for flying off the handle. You know, everything he says and does is very strategic. He's a businessman. And for someone to come at him sideways in a 15 minute interview means you don't even know Ross. Like, you don't understand understand what this man is who he is as a person you know when i was talking to him you know in a brief interview actually like he basically said look like i know what i'm doing Mm -hmm. and it's like we know you know what you're doing so the best ross interview in my opinion was probably when he did his uh gq feature where the writer spent multiple days you know was at his home and that's when certain questions were asked you know and i think that people really sort of need to understand look just because you have 10 minutes with artists is not the time for you to make this national inquirer like if you know that person and they're willing to give you juice great you know god bless you but know your subject you know maybe young thug you know asking him about his label situation is pretty innocuous he's either going to tell you or say i can't speak about it but to go in and ask about you know an artist's family or you know who they're dating like you if i don't know you i'm not telling you who i'm dating but if we just spent five days together and you know everyone in my life yeah i might say that's my dude right there you know so people need to be smart you know and at the end it goes back to respect like respecting the artist respecting the situation because that's when you're going to get the best results so have you ever walked out of like an interview feeling like you weren't able to ask like the difficult question i mean all the time all the time i mean look in an ideal world you'd get to spend a month with these rappers and write an amazing story that covers everything sometimes it happens sometimes it doesn't but You know, to me, there's always more stuff to ask. You know, I would love to spend, I would have loved to spend a week with Keith and just really kind of ingratiate myself with his life and living his life in detox. It just wasn't something that was sort of logistically possible. So you also have to be resourceful, you know, like the same way that I'm sure a radio interviewer would love if the artist was there for five hours. No, you're there for the show Mm -hmm. in and out. You Mm -hmm. know, if they don't want to answer, they're going to say, I'm turning my mic off. Like, what are you going to do? You know, so you also have to make do with like what you have. Um, But I think more than anything, it's really about building that rapport and understanding if you're unable to either because of a time constraint or maybe you're just not vibing with that person or that person's in a cranky mood or they're hungry. Then being respectful of that, like. There's nothing I hate more than when someone talks to me when I'm, like, starving. So just picture if you were, like, an artist who hasn't eaten lunch and you have a stranger wagging their finger asking you about who you're beefing with. It's like, bro, like, I'm not going to answer that and I want a sandwich, you know? So (laughs) just being cognizant. I think it's, like, be smart. This isn't, like, rocket science. But for a lot of people, like, that's why an artist might say no comment or fly off the handle. It's like, because you're not thinking, You know, at the end of the day, this is a human. They have the same needs we all have. And sometimes a rapper just doesn't want to talk about it. And, you know, anyone can say no comment. And you can't also be mad at that because the same way you're allowed to ask what you want, they're also they can also not answer. And if that's the case, how do you move the conversation? You know, it's not just asking questions sequentially. Where do you put that question? You know, all of that is important. You've got to think those things through. It's not just firing off questions to rappers about music you know yeah now um you know you you mentioned being essentially like jokingly as like the rapper's therapist sometimes absolutely yeah absolutely i mean for me you know being a girl like in many ways is beneficial because i think a lot of times especially male artists like to open up 
um, and I'm able to ask them certain personal things that they may not feel comfortable with a guy. Um, yeah, but more than anything, it's listen. Look at people in the eyes, mm-hmm. you know? And really, like, I know I keep saying listen, but I've been <laughs> in so many interviews where people are looking on their phone, mm-hmm. reading the next question, or they're, you know, if you, I never come in with set questions, ever, 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 ever. Like, I may have some idea, but let the conversation flow. You know, one guy who taught me that was Pusha T, because I remember the first time I interviewed him, I had questions on my phone. He literally took my phone, put it in his hand and looked me in the eye. He's like, no, I'm up here. Not down there, I'm up here. And for a minute, I was going to have a freak out. Like, oh my God, I have all these great Pusha T questions and now I'm not going to remember them. We ended up having like a three hour long conversation over guacamole. And it was a great interview from New York Magazine because we just let the conversation flow. Mm. Half those questions I wrote, we probably didn't talk about, but we talked about so much other good stuff. You know, and to this day, he's one of my favorite interviews because we've built that relationship. But he was the one who was like, no, I'm up here. And those are those small things that you kind of learn over time. And you know what? Maybe I didn't get to ask him the 27 questions I wanted to about the clips, but that's okay. Mm Because I got a lot of other good stuff. And you know what? There'll always be another interview. If you did a good job, I promise you there will be another interview. Yeah. Now, do you feel like... You have a relationship with these rappers beyond just the interview portions, or are you asking me if I'm sleeping with them? Not necessarily. That I just was a mean, joke, by the way, the answer is no. <laughs> um, you know, look. One thing I learned at William Morris: the clients are not your friends, and I always say the same thing. Rappers aren't your friends. Like you can be friendly and maybe over time develop a rapport, but you're here to be a professional. You know, like we can be very friendly, but. I'm not one of those people who gets those lines construed, you know, like, and to me, quite frankly, I'm in this industry, but I'm not like an industry person. Like I have no interest like smoking their weed or hanging out with their like friends. Like I don't need to, you know, I'm the person who I remember I went to um, Sin City, the strip club one time because Ross had a listening. I literally went to hear the record. I saw French there. I said hi to him because I was interviewing him and I made a beeline out because I'm like, I have no interest in hanging out, you know? You rarely will see me ever, ever, ever hanging out with an artist, but you can be friendly and be respectful. But again, I think for people in this industry to sort of like, oh, my art, the artists are my friends. No, not really. Like, they don't need our friendship. You know, they're popular. They got friends. I have friends. Like, there's no need to, like, blur those lines. So French Montana is not, like, texting you saying, hey, what's up, or... I mean, I wish French Montana would text me about his pet monkey, Julius Caesar. That would be more of a dream for me. Um, No, I mean, again, it's literally when I see a lot of these artists, especially the ones I have good rapport with, I'll go say hi, chop it up for a little, but I always know, like, when to leave. Like, I'm not the person who's there to hang out. I don't want to drink your liquor. Like, I have no interest, and I never have. Like, getting kind of intoxicated off the lifestyle is not me. I'd rather be watching The Simpsons at home, to be honest with you. Seasons one through eleven only. <laughs> That's fair enough, for sure. Um, we have a we have a couple more minutes here before we end. Um, you've given a lot of great advice. I think that that's um, important. Um, do you have any? Uh, I guess for kids who who are maybe in school and and unsure of what they're trying to do or how to even get their foot in the door. Yeah. Um, what would you say in in twenty fourteen though is the best way to to get their foot in the door? Well, I mean, I think when it comes to the writing game, I always tell people just write, whether that be at your college newspaper, your own blog, just start building a byline because having any kind of byline, even if it's your own Tumblr, that every day you're writing 500 words, that's something that you can pitch to an editor. So I would say definitely do that. 
Um, and also, you know, if you're still in school, like working for free, you know, like we, I did it, you know, I interned at CNN and a bad boy. And in the beginning, I definitely wrote, you know, if not for free, for very little money. And sometimes you have to do those things, you know, kind of in the short term. Um, and, you know, I'm someone who's also very much, you know, networking respectfully. I know that we have social media now and you can tweet at people and find people's emails much easier than when I was coming up, you know, even though I found some very tricky ways on getting people's contact information. But, you know, if you reach out to someone in the game, ask them for advice. You know, I totally would ask people even to jump on the phone for 10 minutes, five minutes, you know, I'll take you out to coffee. I'll do anything like not that I'm asking for anything. I'm not asking for a job. I'm not asking for you to get me, you know, introduce me to anyone. I just want to pick your brain. And having those informational interviews is something that proved extremely valuable to me. 99% of them did not lead to, lead to a job, but I still do that to this day. Like, I may go, you know, up to, like, Shade 45, and one of my friends is, like, works there, and just, like, hang out, soak in that vibe. I'm not asking for anything. Or I might go to a label and just hang out with my friend who's an A&R just to, like, soak in stuff, maybe get some advice. Like, I think those things are very important. Um and look, things aren't going to happen overnight. You know, I think a lot of times people sort of expect it to happen really quickly. Like, well, I tweeted you and you didn't respond. So what's going on? It's like, whoa, simmer down. Like, at the end of the day, look, nobody owes you anything. Like, it's really for you to show them what you can bring to the organization, right? It's not you telling whatever Atlantic Records why they're great for you. They're like, yeah, we know we're great. You mm -hmm. know, it's you showing them what you can do for them um, and differentiating yourself. You know, let's say you're from... I don't know, Toronto, why don't you use that to your advantage? Maybe you know like five new artists whose name is not Drake who are going to pop off, you know, next year. So maybe when you're writing, use that to your advantage that you have access no one else has and really playing to your strengths, you know. But more than anything, look, if this is your dream, just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, like so many things are going to try to like detract you. Um, you're going to face failures. You know, you're going to face yep. people closing the door on you and telling you you suck and you don't belong here. But everyone's faced that, you know, from Jay-Z to you to everyone. We've all faced those things, and that just means you're getting closer. And as long as you believe and you're confident, everyone else will, too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, one last question here before we go. Um, in five years, where do you see yourself? What do you see yourself doing? Um, retired on an island in Fiji. No, it's lying. <laughs> um, you know, I definitely want to do more TV stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm someone who, you know, I love entertainment, but, you know, even beyond music, like television, film, um, and just current events. Like, to me, one of my role models is someone like a Bill Maher, you mm -hmm. know, like more on the political side, comedy side. Um, and then write books as well. And for me, something that's very important is also kind of serving as like a mentor, um, you know, and sort of helping that next generation. Because, you know, with people... You know, we had people like Kevin Lyles, you know, Russell Simmons to look up to. I think that next generation, especially young women, um, you know, people of color, they kind of need that. So that's kind of an area, you know, in speaking engagement and writing that I definitely want to focus on, too. OK, fair enough. And I appreciate you coming in and, and taking the time to speak to me and speak to, you know, everybody tuned in. I'm going to wrap up here with uh, with the PSA. And also, if people are interested in getting in touch with you, your, your Twitter is... Uh Somia K S O W M Y A K.